0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to love. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got a few friends who are even more literal than I am. There was a day that I was with one and we were waiting on a delivery and I meant to say, take a look out the window. But either I misspoke or I just shortened it and I said, take a look at the window. And a few seconds later, my friend said, Uh, There's some bird poop. One of the corners is cracked, and I don't think this windowsill has been cleaned or painted in a decade. And that's when I realized the difference between looking at a window and seeing through a window. In our Old Testament lesson, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Now, for those who are old enough, we remember Charlton Heston in his swim trunks and bathrobes, standing up, holding up the Ten Commandments for all of Israel to see. And it was that wonderful moment. Or in a little more irreverent moment, we remember Mel Brooks, also playing Moses. And he's come down the mountain with the Fifteen Commandments. And he is telling the people, and he says, The Lord your God has given you these And just as he says it, one of the tablets falls and breaks. And he says, these 15, no, these 10 commandments. How do you see life? What's your world view? What lens do you see it through? Do you see your life through the world? Or do you see the world through your life? Now, The the 10 commandments are fairly well known, even if people can't remember all 10 of them in order. Um, Most acknowledge they are holy laws. A few even try to follow them. There are actually closer to 365 commandments in the Bible, although some are just clarifications of earlier ones, so you'd have to really spend a lot of time to figure out exactly how many commandments there are in the Bible. The 10 stand out because they cover everything that needs to be covered. While there may be 365, 10 really are enough. There is a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The, the letter of the law has no wiggle room, which means we would always be in trouble because even the slightest transgression means you're guilty. But the spirit of the law has enough wiggle room to get you into trouble if you wiggle too much, which we are always inclined to do. Both are why 10 became 365. Starman was an 80s movie starring Jeff Bridges. It was about a visitor from outer space who came to study us earthlings. And Karen Allen finds him and agrees to help him in his studies. And one day he asks, hey, can I drive the car? And she says, do you know how? And he says, I have been watching you. I will duplicate your driving skills. So she reluctantly gives him the keys and he gets in the, the driver's seat and everything is going well. And at first they pull out and everything is fine. And then all of a sudden the light turns yellow. And he floors it, and her head snaps back, and horns honk, and cars screech to a stop, and everything's crazy, and she screams, stop, stop, stop. And she turns and she says, I thought you said you knew how to drive. What was that? And he turns and he says, I simply did what you always do. Uh, Red means stop, green means go, and yellow means go as fast as you can. To understand the Ten Commandments, we have to see beyond all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. It's not easy. St. Paul says God wrote these laws on our hearts, meaning most of us have a pretty good idea of what is sin and and what isn't. But sometimes, even with the best of intentions, we find ourselves somewhere where we didn't intend to go because we, we start playing games with the law. A Bible story that doesn't make it into our Sunday lectionary is about Gideon. Now, he's an Old Testament judge. He was a man of faith, but he was also a very cautious man. Once, when he had a vision where God promised him something that was going to be absolutely amazing, Gideon told God, look, I'm going to put a fleece out on the ground, okay, outside my tent, and tomorrow if I wake up and the fleece is wet and the ground around it is dry, then I will know that it is you that have spoken and I will go and do it. So the next day he wakes up, and sure enough, the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. But then cautious Gideon says, okay, God, forgive me, but tomorrow I'm going to put the piece of fleece out, and tomorrow I want the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry. And God humored him and did it, and that's how he figured it out. You see, faith and proof. Before King Saul, the Jews were a very jealous bunch, always wanting to be like the other nations instead of being thankful for who they were. All the other nations had kings. They had judges. Jews wanted a king. And no matter how many times God told them, I am your king. You don't need any more kings. That's why I gave you judges. They just didn't listen. It was like they were junior high students, demanding to prove their independence by becoming just like everybody else. So after a big battle, the people asked Gideon to be their king. He was very strong, very mighty, and obviously one with God. You can find the story in Judges 8. He repeated the words of his predecessor, Samuel, and kept hammering home, God is your king, you don't need a king. The people finally settled down, and Gideon decides to reward them by creating something to remind them that God is their king. Now, the latest fashion statement for boys was giant golden earrings. Gideon asked them to donate it to the special cause. He then added a bunch of the golden doodads that he got when he defeated the enemy, He took it all, melted it down, and he made a giant golden ephod. Yeah, that's E-P-H-O-D, which was an apron-type thing. Not just for the bottom, but it, it was, yeah, a breastplate and an apron. Whenever Gideon wore it, it meant Gideon was speaking with the power and the authority of God, which sounds like a pretty cool object lesson. It's just that Gideon had evidently not read the book of Numbers, Because if he had, he would have known the story of the bronze snake, which, by the way, God told the Israelites to make. This is after they were unfaithful and a whole bunch of snakes came into the camp, and every time somebody got bitten, they died. And so God said, you know, make this giant bronze snake, which, by the way, is where we get the caduceus for for the medical profession. And he says, put it up on a pole, and if somebody gets bitten, and if they look at it and believe that I can heal them, they will not die. Well, it worked just like God promised. Except, when we read in the Bible, several hundred years later, we found that a bunch of people had stolen the snake, taken it with them, and they were worshipping the snake as their god instead of God. And that's what happens here. Gideon also forgot the first commandment, thou shalt not make any graven image. Or paraphrase, don't try to replace me with a thing, no matter how pretty or expensive it might be. The moment you have a gold or silver or titanium or even plastic God that you can pet and carry around and beat people over the head with, you start to think that you can use God to, well, push and shove and beat people over the head with. Because God has been replaced by the gold or silver or titanium or plastic thing that you created. In other words, you forget God and you just focus on whatever it is that you can carry around and make do whatever you want it to do. In Gideon's case, the people started worshipping the ephod, even when Gideon wasn't wearing it. By the time Gideon died, they had all sorts of plastic and gold and silver and titanium gods, and, yeah, the real God had been forgotten. All of which points to the sad fact that there are passions and ideas and thoughts in our heads that we can't stop, even when we know better, and have somebody telling us not to do it. This is a case of us shouting when we should have shall noted. We don't have time for all ten, but, but I wanted to point out one of the other thou shalls that we tend to mess up. For many believers, a Sunday Sabbath, especially in the fall, is about dozing off in the armchair with your phone on your lap while watching a football game or an afternoon movie that you've already seen a dozen times. It's about sleeping in. It's about eating ice cream or whatever your favorite treat is. It's about catching up on all the things that you didn't get done. The real Sabbath though is as old as creation itself. The book of Genesis says, after six days of explosive creation of galaxies and stars and solar systems, and also the tiny minutiae of bringing ants and ferns and whales into being, the almighty, all-powerful, all-everything God spent the seventh day in a state of divine rest, simply and fully inhabiting the universe that He had created. It was no longer about doing. For God, it was simply about being and, and enjoying Everything around him. A few thousand years later, people had intentionally forgotten the rules and law of life and love. And they came and they demanded that God make a list of things. That's what happens in our Old Testament lesson. And God said, fine, I'll give you a list. And he narrowed it down to just 10, although that number eventually grows up, like I said, to about 365. These 10 are enough, though, because if you understand what the laws are trying to do and why God gave them, And just so you know, it's not about punishing you or it's not about you making sure that you follow all of them exactly, otherwise God won't love you. Then you're going to know how best to thrive in this world. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, God said. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Later Moses added, observe the Sabbath day, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. In other words, no expiration date on the Sabbath. A famous poet once quipped, much more than Israel has kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath has kept Israel. If we see the Sabbath as a time to be reminded of who we are and why we're here and where we're going and who is watching over us, who gave us this beautiful world, the Sabbath becomes something that we not only need, but something that truly recreates and heals us. Because we aren't the only generation or culture that likes to wiggle, the Old Testament priests had to add some footnotes to the Sabbath. Not only could you not work, but also no cooking, no carrying anything, no lighting a fire, and no encouraging others to work in your place. Then thirty-nine more prohibitions had to be added in a little bit, and then even more after that. Every time someone said, thou shalt not, someone else came along and said, well, they didn't say anything about this. Now, if you were an Orthodox Jew, Even now, for 24 hours, from 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday, you don't spend money, ride in a car, talk on a phone, watch TV, not even surf the net. The Sabbath is meant to be a divine interruption that realigns your life with God, with His creation, and with the world around you. In other words, it's a time for you to sit and talk to one another, to be with one another, to enjoy one another's company. All of that comes with a cost. If you don't answer your phone, people think you're mad at them. If you don't post to your social media, you start to lose followers and people forget who you are. If you don't ride in a car, well, you can't get to Jack in the Box or McDonald's. If you don't surf the net, you have no idea what's going on in the world. To many today, that sounds like the definition of hell. Yeah, notice the world that we've created. Madeline L'Engle, my wife's favorite author, she wrote, I've long since stopped feeling guilty about taking being time. It's something we all need for our spiritual health. And often we don't take enough of it. When I am constantly running, there is no time for just being. When there is no time for being, there is no time for listening. And yet if we stop, maybe not for 24 hours, but an intentional one or two hours to be still and listen and observe what's happening around us, it takes a lot of willpower to not do things. Things that come to mind. Cheat a little bit by checking our phone or email. But when we do that, we lose out on the moment. And by the way, every single moment is important. I know things come to mind that we normally wouldn't have thought of otherwise. That's the problem with slowing down, and it's one of the reasons that some of us are afraid to slow down because all these things come crashing into our brain that we should have done and should have said or things we did say and things we shouldn't have. We're so busy, we just don't have time to be... I'm amazed when I step into an airplane and I'm stuck on one for five to ten hours. All the things that come to my mind. Sometimes, by the way, I have filled three complete legal pages with notes of things that I need to remember and do when I get back. Our Western culture has put in exact time on the clock to end the Sabbath. But for Jews, it was when they could see three stars in the heavens. They light a braided candle, drink a a glass of wine. They pass around a container of sweet-smelling spi- spices, allowing the fragrance of the Sabbath to linger just for a few more minutes before they have to return to the chaos of life. Notice that, the braided candle. Light has come back. Notice the glass of wine. And also, nothing more than just say, Peace be with us. The Jewish elders taught those who observed the Sabbath were given the gift of an extra soul that allowed them to see beyond themselves and stand just outside of God's presence to be healed and become whole before having to return to their life. When the fourth star of the evening appears, the soul leaves with only the smell of the fragrant spices to remind them of the day that they will be in the presence of God forever. And Until that day, they just get these tiny little glimpses, which is what the Sabbath is to be all about. Forty years after Jesus ascended back to heaven, there was a movement in the church that demanded Gentiles become Jews first before getting baptized and becoming Christians. The movement was all about fulfilling the law. Paul had to step in and clear things up. In Romans 7, he said, you know, but now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. And in 614, he wrote, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law. But you are under grace. This gave Christians the idea that they didn't have to follow God's law. And they're right. We don't have to. We are saved by grace, not our works. And yet, if we stop and ask what the law was trying to do, we may discover that we are the poor for not trying to follow it. There is so much to be said about loving our neighbor and speaking the truth and protecting one another, not creating idols and taking a Sabbath where we're actually reminded of what it's going to be like in heaven, when we can just be at peace with everything around us for even an hour. We don't do the law because it will save us, or because God will then love us more. We walk alongside the law to find how things were meant to be, and discover more about ourselves, and more about God. The most important thing is, when we fail, and fail we will, there is grace and forgiveness because of Jesus and the cross. We often think of God's law as punishment, as do this or else. But God's law isn't that much different than the laws of gravity or motion or attraction. And most of us know we can't win battles against those things. God just pointed out the truth of what is. And if we choose to walk according to these laws, things will go better than, well, if we don't. We are free to fight the law of gravity. We're not going to win. We are free to fight God's laws, but we're not going to win there either. Sometimes letting the law be the law allows us to move on with our life and be thankful for the grace of God that covers us even when we fail and we make golden ephods or pole snakes for for ourselves. Sometimes the law takes us somewhere we needed to be but wouldn't have gone except if we were pushed there. And in those moments, we discover the amazing truth of just how much God really loves us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.